You are listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast. To learn more about Sunnybrook Church, including our Sunday gathering times and opportunities throughout the week, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Jeff Mose. Okay, you can't be humble. I want you to honestly answer this question. I want you to raise your hand if you would agree with me. You are smarter than the average person in the world. Would you raise your hand? Come on, I know you're in church. Don't be humble. Just be honest with me. Do you feel as though you're smarter than the average person? Actually, statistics would say you think that. You actually think you're better drivers than other people. You actually think you're less sinful than other people. And when it comes to the issues in life, you think you know better than the average person in this world. It's hard being right all the time, isn't it? And your posture is just simply this. There's so many important issues in this world and there are so many dumb people. Isn't that how you feel? And if you want to know how you should think, how you should feel, just ask me. I have the right theology, I have the right translation of the Bible, I know what is right with regards to spiritual gifts, I know whether women ought to be ordained or not, just simply ask me. And if you have a position different than what I have, I will explain to you why you are wrong and I am right. I know what's right with regards to how you should vote. I know what's right with regards to gun control. I know what's right with regards to sexual orientation. I know what's right on every single subject. I even know whether or not you should wear white after Labor Day. Just ask me. It is incredibly exhausting to be right all the time, isn't it? And today what I'd like to do is I'd like to push you just a little bit. If you don't get mad at me once a year, I feel as though I'm not doing my job, so I want to push you just a little bit today. I want to take you to a portion of Scripture that is actually found in Luke chapter 18. It's a parable that Jesus is about to tell, but I want to give you some idea of the players in this parable. First of all, I want you to know that Jesus was surrounded by people much like you and I. They thought they were always right. If you wanted to know what is right with regards to the law, if you wanted to know what is right with regards to the church, if you wanted to know what's right and how you should live in every single issue out there, these people knew they were right. And they felt as though they were holier, they felt as though they were better, they felt as though they were a little bit more spiritual than anybody else. So Luke, the writer of this portion of scripture in chapter 18 sort of sets up the parable, if you will. He says, listen, I want to give you some understanding as to why Jesus is about to speak this parable to some, he says, who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else. Jesus told them this parable. What's the parable? Here's the parable, Jesus says. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. One that felt as though he was incredibly righteous and one that knew he was unrighteous. One that was a Pharisee who wore this long, beautiful robe would stand on the street corners and pray these beautiful prayers and do so out loud in order to impress other people. The Pharisee who kept to 613 commandments, you and I are lucky if we keep to only 10. There was a man in this parable who was righteous and he knew he was, and there was a man who was unrighteous and he knew he was. So the scripture goes on to say that the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Who are other people? They're robbers, they're evildoers, adulterers, or even this guy over here. 
And then he said, here's my spiritual resume. In case you're not already impressed, I want you to know I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. Then the scripture goes on to say this in the parable, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven. He felt such tremendous shame over his sinfulness in the presence of a holy God, but he beat his breast. In the Middle Eastern culture, this is a sign of mourning. And he cried out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the end of the parable, and now Jesus wants to comment on the parable, and here's what he says, I tell you that this man, speaking on the unrighteous one, speaking of the tax collector, speaking of the sinner, this man, rather than the other one, the righteous man, the Pharisee, the one who thought he was always right, went home justified before God. Why? For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus wants to remind us in this portion of Scripture that it's pretty easy for you and I to get to the position of the Pharisee, where eventually you and I feel as though it's just important that we're right and we forget all of the time that God is every bit as concerned about our humility, about our lack of arrogance as he is about our rightness. The sermon today is entitled, You're Not As Right As You Think You Are. Lean over to the person next to you and ask them this simple question. Do it with a smile on your face. Are you the tax collector or are you the Pharisee? Just ask them. Now here's what I want you to see. Even though we all recognize in the presence of God that we are somehow this sinner, this tax collector, if you will, we feel as though it's pretty easy to move toward the Pharisee, isn't it? Isn't it true that when you feel as though you're right all of the time, eventually simmering inside of your soul is this sense of rightness and everybody else is wrong? We see it with regards to our view of Scripture. Certainly we recognize that we are the ones who teach and preach the truth of God's Word, and there is incredible truth to that. I want you to know from my perspective, truth in this world is not ambiguous. It comes back to the truth of God's Word but how you and I hold on to that is incredibly important, isn't it? When somehow you and I feel as though we're right and then it moves toward arrogance in our lives, isn't it true that before long you and I can begin to judge other people? Where you and I say in effect, listen, I am right and they are wrong. And I begin to move farther and farther away from people and closer and closer to this little loneliness of myself because I'm the only one who's ultimately right. And isn't it true even though you and I want to cling to the truth of God's word, eventually you and I become people who cast judgment on others? Hey, he's a nice guy, but in all honesty, he's really full of himself. She's a nice girl, but she doesn't watch after her kids very well. It's a good church, but it's not like our church that preaches and teaches the whole counsel of God's word. It's a good place, but in all honesty, their music and their worship is dead and they're not like us. It's a good group of people, but they vote in the wrong direction. It's a good group of people, but they don't understand gun control. It's a good group of people, but they're not like me. And isn't it true that pretty soon Simrambic inside of us when we feel as though we're always right is this judgmental spirit toward other people. 
People, can I remind you today and can I remind me that we are all sinners saved by the grace of God? That none of us are righteous, the scripture would say, no, not one. The prophet Jeremiah says that the heart is actually deceitful above all else. That when you and I set ourselves up as judge over other people, it's possible even as believers in Jesus Christ, we can be right. But we can do it in an unloving fashion. We can be right, but we can be judgmental toward other people. We can be right, but we're absolute jerks when it comes to living out the rightness in our lives. Can I for a moment just play a rather sarcastic game with you? I'm going to tell you some things about myself. And when I'm done, I want to ask you, do you like me? And would you be willing to follow Jesus because of me? Let me tell you some things about me. First of all, there's seldom a day that I don't spend time in the Word of God and time spent in prayer. I actually have large amounts of Scripture committed to memory. I could quote for you the book of 1 Timothy, the book of Philippians. I could quote to you the Sermon on the Mount. Beth and I, every week, give 10% of our income to the Church of Jesus Christ, to Sunnybrook Community Church. I have never smoked marijuana. I have never taken illegal drugs. Beth and I are very careful what we watch on television because we don't want to put moral filth in our mind. Beth and I have a date night every single month. Beth and I have the opportunity of leading our four kids to receive Christ as their Savior. Beth and I pay off our credit card bill every single month. We have zero debt in our lives. Now here's my question. Do you like me and do you want to follow after Jesus because of what I just said? In this sarcastic illustration, here's what most of you say, no. In all honesty, that's your self-righteousness, Jeff, and your self-righteousness, thinking that somehow you're better than other people, doesn't draw me to Jesus. And just so you're clear here this morning, I want you to recognize I actually have watched some bad television before. I watch Breaking Bad every single episode on Netflix, and I'm ashamed to admit that. And also, I may have seen one or two or five episodes of Teen Mom, just to kind of understand the psychological things that are going on. And when I was first married, I was watching a late-night infomercial, and I got into a fight with somebody about it, and eventually we lost 10 points on our credit score. And listen, those are the things I'm willing to tell you about. In all honesty, in a crowd like this, I'm not going to tell you even my deeper sin. I'll save that for my accountability partner, because here's the reality, and I know it well. We're not perfect, are we? There is only one person that was ever perfect that lived on the face of the earth. His name was Jesus. And what fascinates me about Jesus is this. He was morally superior to all of us, but he wasn't judgmental. In fact, he had such tremendous love that people were drawn to him. Can I give you a few examples? Do you remember in the New Testament when Matthew actually invited his tax-collecting friends those that were seen as sort of the scoundrels of society over to his house for a party, he invited Jesus as well. So they rubbed shoulders with him and people were so drawn to Jesus that even some of these tax collectors who collected taxes for the Roman government who would then take this tax money and use it to oppress the Jews, many of them began to follow after Jesus. Do you remember a story in the New Testament by a woman who was a prostitute? She had heard the teaching of Jesus and she showed up at a place where he was having lunch with some of the religious leaders. 
She got in behind him and she was so moved with emotion because of the love of Jesus that she begins to cry tears that fall on the feet of Jesus and eventually wet them and she dries his feet with her hair and she takes out this alabaster jar of perfume, literally her trade secret, if you will, worth a year's worth of wages and she pours it on the feet of Jesus to anoint him. Do you remember Jesus recognizes a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus stuck up in a tree? He not only notices him, catches his eye, but actually asks him to come down. And he goes into fellowship with him at his home. And he leads him to faith. And now he pays back four times what he had stolen from other people. Do you remember this story of a woman who went at the well who literally went from a relationship to relationship. She couldn't keep a relationship to save her life. And now she's actually shacking up with another guy. But Jesus offers to her living water. What's fascinating to me about Jesus is he was the most morally spiritual person that had ever lived. He was sinless, if you will, but he was incredibly loving. And somehow he was able, even in his moral superiority, to somehow draw people to himself. People, isn't it true that you and I should like, in our own lives, to be like Jesus? Desire in our own lives to be like Jesus? Because isn't it true that prideful, arrogant people aren't very loving? I want you to see as Jesus begins to teach in John chapter 13, just to remind you, this portion of scripture takes place the very night before Jesus was crucified. So he's got all of the fear and the trepidation of the crucifixion because he knows what is about to happen. And now he begins to speak in John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the hour had come, the hour of his crucifixion for him to leave this world and go to the Father. So the scripture goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world, and I love this phrase, he now loved them to the end. To the bitter end of his life, he kept on loving people. So the scripture would tell us now, he takes off his outer garment, he wraps around an apron that is used by a slave, and then he begins to wash the feet of each of the disciples and he sits back down. Recognize he knows that Judas is about to betray him. In fact, eventually he says to Judas, what you gonna do, do quickly. He recognized that Peter was gonna deny him three times. So he's got all of this fear, all of this trepidation, all of this worry, all of this abandonment by people around him. And then he says these beautiful words. My children. It's the first and the only time in all of the New Testament Jesus calls his followers my children. Sometimes he would call them men, sometimes disciples, sometimes followers. Eventually in John chapter 15, he's going to call them friends. But only this time, once and once only, right before his crucifixion, does he look at them and give this incredible familial word. He says, my children, I'm going to be with you only a little longer. And you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, or I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says this, reminding yourself of all that is going on in his own mind. A new command I give you. And the word new in the Greek just literally means this, fresh and alive. 
because he's about to tell them to love one another. He talked about love in the Old Testament. Now he's saying, listen, you're going to look at love in a very fresh way, a very new way, a way that is going to identify who you are, a new commandment I give you. And then he says this, love one another. And how are you to love one another? I want you to do it in the same fashion that I have loved you. And then he repeats himself, just in case you forgot what I said. So you must love one another. And then he gives us the reason why. By this, you're loving one another. People will know that you are my disciples, and I want to say it again, if you love one another. So how are people going to know that you're followers of me by how you vote? How are people going to know you're followers of me by what you're against in this world? How are people going to know you're followers of me by whether or not you're right or you're wrong on an issue? No. Here's how they're going to know that you are followers of me, that you love one another. In fact, from now on, Jesus is saying, your badge of identification that you belong to me will be how you love each other. The way the world would be run, they'll be drawn to me is by how you love one another. People, I think it's critical that you and I understand that. In fact, what I'd like to do is to just give you a couple of diagrams. I want you to see the first one. Whenever you and I, much like the Pharisees, feel as though we're right, we begin, don't we, to feel morally superior? I'm better than you. I read the word more. I know how to be on the right side of these issues better than you do. We have this moral superiority and eventually become judgmental. Well, hey, listen, if I know what's right and you know what's wrong, when you're on the other side of this issue now, I'm offended. I become judgmental. And then eventually I'm easily angered and offended in life and it moves back around to feeling morally superior and judgmental and all of those kinds of things. Jesus says, listen, that's what I don't want you to be. Do you remember the story in John chapter 8 that I shared with you earlier on in this series? It's the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. Do you remember the religious community actually found her in the act? They picked her up. They threw her down at the feet of Jesus and said, in effect, hey, listen, the Old Testament law says we're to stone her. What say you? The scripture says that Jesus doesn't say a word, but he just bends down and he begins to ride in the dirt. Tradition has it that it's likely he was writing the sins of the religious people, which I think is a little bit funny, don't you? And the scripture says that one after another, they begin to drop their rocks and they walk away. And then Jesus comes to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, it looks like they disappeared. And then Jesus makes this pronouncement, neither do I condemn you. Jesus leads with love. But he's also not only full of grace, but he's full of truth as well, John chapter 1 tells us. So he says, listen, go and sin no more. I want you to know that what you are doing is wrong. There is truth in this world, but I want to lead with grace. I want you to know, neither do I, Kyush. But I want to encourage you to go and to sin no more. Because here's the second diagram that I want you to see, and I think this is critical. Whenever you and I have this attitude that we're forgiven, isn't it true you and I feel this profound sense of gratitude? Ever stood before the Lord in prayer and just thought to yourself, as the Spirit of God has brought conviction, man, what an incredible sinner I am, how unworthy of the very grace of God that I am, and you feel this incredible sense of gratitude. 
I feel it every single Sunday morning when I gather together. Who in the world would allow me to preach and to lead this church? I feel this profound sense of gratitude. And when I do, when you do, you become more accepting of others, don't you? When you recognize the huge amount of debt you owe before a holy God and you have been forgiven, isn't it true you become much more forgiving, much more loving toward other people? Which eventually moves you to overflow with love and feel that profound sense of gratitude, and so on it goes. I remember a couple of years ago, I was playing basketball with a guy, and he was actually pushing me around pretty good. I played the post, and there was a guy who was much bigger than me, much younger than me, much more athletic than me. He could do whatever he wanted with me. He was pushing me around until eventually, one of you said to him, hey, maybe go a little bit easier. He's the pastor of Sunnybrook Community Church. All of a sudden, the demeanor of this guy changed. Now, all of a sudden, I could go around him at will. This guy who was much better than me decided he wasn't going to play defense anymore. Eventually, he got so frustrated that it went around him that he actually swore. And then he came up to me personally and said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't use that kind of language. I wanted to say to him, listen, I've heard it all before, in all honesty, But I wanted him to recognize in the midst of all of that, I've been where you've been until I came to the very grace of God apart from Jesus Christ. All of us are in desperate need of the grace of God. And I thought to myself, who set up a standard in your life that you can't live up to? Because the truth of the matter is none of us can live up to that standard unless the grace of God is somehow ushered into our lives. And I wanted to say to him, listen, God loves you just the same. Come to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. Because isn't it true with regards to ministry, you and I should never lead with moral superiority. You and I should always lead with love. And even to the people we feel as though are wrong in this world, even to the people that live a different lifestyle than we do, even people who live a different behavior than we do, you and I ought to lead with love. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Hey, listen, if I speak... In the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love. I'm actually only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body to hardship that I may boast, but have not love, I gain nothing. Isn't it true that if you and I move farther and farther in that sort of a direction, but we don't have love, the truth is we gain nothing, we profit nothing, we see nothing? Isn't it true that you and I could read the Bible every single day, but if we don't have love for the people around us, we gain nothing? Isn't it true you and I could come to church every single Sunday, get involved in a small group every single week, serve in this community every single day, but if you and I don't have love for the people around us, we produce nothing? Can I remind you this morning that Jesus always led with love? He always made a decision in his heart, even though he was the most morally spiritual person that has ever been, that he wasn't going to lead with his moral superiority. He was going to lead with love, and in so doing, he was going to draw people to himself. He took off his outer garment, he put around himself the apron of a slave, and he began to wash the feet of his disciples. People he knew were going to betray him, people knew he was going to deny him. 
He kept on washing. He kept on loving, the scripture says, to the very end. Is it possible that God is calling us to do the very same thing? The people who are holders of the truth of God's word, the people who recognize right from wrong, that we don't make a decision in our mind we're going to lead with right and wrong, moral superiority. We make a decision in our mind we're going to lead with love. I'm convinced that when we do, people are going to be drawn to Jesus. This morning we're going to gather together around the communion table. And the communion table is this great opportunity for you and I to come in honest confession before God to say, God, here's the reality of my life. Here's the failure, here's the shortcoming, here's the arrogance, here's how I've been way too much like the Pharisee and not enough like the tax collector who couldn't in his shame even look up to heaven but beat on his breast a sign of mourning, oh God, could you have mercy on me, a sinner? Because when we recognize how much you and I have been forgiven, how much you and I have been loved, then you and I are going to love much as well, won't we? So as you ready yourself to come to the communion table this morning, follow along on the screen. Pray and spend some time before the Lord, readying your heart as we gather together around the Lord's Supper. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at sunnybrookchurch.org or download the Sunnybrook Church app. And again, thanks for listening to the Sunnybrook Community Church Podcast.